When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you don't have a clear curriculum for your classroom, it is so overwhelming to try to put that together yourself. Spending hours on Pinterest and Google, pulling worksheets and pulling pieces of curriculum together to make something that works for your classroom. That's why we created the Autism Helper Curriculum and now offer Curriculum Access. Curriculum Access gets you access to all levels and all subjects of the highly differentiated evidence-based Autism Helper Curriculum. You can have students working on letter identification and working on parts of speech at the same time in our easy-to-use curriculum. We currently have hundreds of teachers using Curriculum Access from all over the world with consistently rave reviews. I want you to join that group of teachers. Now is the time to ask your administrators for curriculum access. We have an email template ready to go so you can ask them to set up a demo. Your administrators can jump on a live call with our team members to see everything that's included in the Autism Helper curriculum access. Next year, let's reduce the overwhelm. Let's start the year out with a path and a plan and resources to meet all the diverse needs of your students. Let's make next year the year of curriculum access. Head over to the show notes to learn more. Hi, I'm Sasha Long, special ed teacher and board certified behavior analyst. Welcome to the Autism Helper Podcast. I'm here to explore different strategies to improve the lives of individuals with autism. On most of my platforms, I like to have a nice little balance between talking about the positive and also being honest and addressing some of the challenging parts of our jobs. In general, I probably steer more towards the positive problem-solving frame of mind because that's where we're the most productive and we're going to make the most change. Living in the negative for too long isn't helpful for anyone. But I think there is some value to knowing that other people are going through similar struggles as you are. When you are in a rough phase of your teaching career or of your parenting, not that you want other people to be going through a rough phase as well, but it is helpful to know that you're not the only person going through something like this, that there are other people that are struggling with similar challenges. Because if you stay in that point of, why is this happening to me? Nobody else has to deal with this. I'm all alone in this. That's a hard place to live in. And that's a hard mindset to shift. So I do like talking about the challenging aspects of our jobs because I don't want anyone to feel like they're totally alone or that no other teachers struggle or they're the only one going through this because we all do. So today's episode is going to be a little bit personal. Today, I'm going to share some of my hardest moments from my teaching career, and I put the word overcame in quotes in my head because some of them I didn't really overcome, 
Some I just powered through. Some just changed on their own. Some just got better with time. Some I made active choices that led to positive change. But basically how I got through on the other side. Because that cheesy saying of this too shall pass is true. This too shall pass. If you are in a time of a lot of stress at work or a lot of challenges, know that there is a light at the end of the tunnel and it's not going to be this way forever. So today I'm going to share five different little stories or phases of my teaching career that were the hardest for me. And I want to preface this all by saying that I am very, very aware of students' confidentiality. I am very aware of being respectful about any child or individual that I used to work with or currently work with. So because of that, I'm going to not give too many specifics about any situation. I'll give just enough information so you get the idea. But I, of course, want to maintain every individual's you know, confidentiality and their respect. And like I've said many times on this podcast, every child that we work with is someone's baby. That's someone's whole world. And that is something that has been in my head, honestly, since day one. And even when I had a challenging day or a challenging season with a student, it was always in my head, no matter how frustrated I felt, that that was someone's baby. And these challenging behaviors that this child was showing me was communicating a skill deficit. And I'm their teacher. I need to teach them the missing skills. So I was always very aware of that and will be very cognizant of that when I'm telling these stories. Because some of these stories are about challenging times with students. Some are with challenging times with, you know, staff or the school. But I want to kind of preface this all with every single individual that I reference in some way is an individual that I truly love and, you know, cared very much about. That's why it was hard. That's why it was so challenging. If you're in one of these situations now and feeling super overwhelmed, it's because you care a ton about that kid and you want to do what's best. And it's hard when you care so much about someone, but you don't know what the best thing to do is. So it's because of, you know, this is totally non-behavioral here, but it's because of your love for your students that things become really challenging because you do truly want to make a difference and do what's best for them. So let me share my first story right here. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. So the first story I'm going to share takes me all the way back to my first year of teaching. And I've I've shared this part of my first year of teaching before on the podcast. I 
I mean, when I say I had no idea what I'm doing, like you guys, I literally had no idea what I was doing. I walked in the first PD day and I laugh all the time about this. I walked in the first PD day, the first day of work with a bag with two rolls of paper towel and a roll of Clorox wipes. Like that's all I brought. I didn't know. I was like, I don't know. I might have to clean something. Like, I guess I'll bring some paper towel. Um, so I obviously got thrown into it really quickly. Um, later in the year, I had a really challenging behavior situation with a student. And it was a student that, like I said, you know, I, I loved all my students, but oh my gosh, I loved this kid. He had tons of great skills, but we had a really hard period of really challenging and potentially dangerous behavior. And the reason I want to bring up this story is because when this happens year one, it is so much harder than any other year because you don't even have like your sea legs yet. You don't even have it together at all. And the hard part about the situation was that it was very public in the school because things happened not typically always in my classroom. So other people, other teachers, administrators, they didn't know me yet. And I felt like this was their first impression of me was dealing with this challenging situation that I had no idea how to handle. So that I carried a lot of weight. I, I took it very personally and worried a lot about what other people were thinking of the situation, what other people were thinking about my student, because I didn't want them to think any, anything bad about him. And I didn't have, you know, a strong relationship with administrators yet because I was still new. They didn't know to have faith or trust in me because I hadn't proved myself yet. And um, I didn't have faith or trust in myself because I didn't know what I was doing yet. So kind of how the, the stars aligned here was what made it really challenging. I look back at that period a lot and think, you know, how differently I would have done things because I didn't know all the things that I know now. I didn't, I hadn't started learning about applied behavior analysis. I really hadn't, you know, had a lot of opportunities to practice those skills. So looking back, I like, oh my gosh, I want to like cover my face and be like, why did I do the things that I did? And also to me, that's part of why this situation was hard because I have regret. I like lived with that regret for a while. Like, oh, I should have done that or I should have made this or this would have made it better. And in the wise words of Elsa, you have to let that go. You're going to make mistakes and you're going to learn and progress and have more skills later in your career. Even as a veteran teacher, we make mistakes and it's easy to carry that with us for a while. So I don't think there's really anything that I overcame, but it was a really important learning situation that, you know, there's still a lot I have to figure out in this field. And it made me really aware of the importance of building relationships with my colleagues and with my administrators, because that was something that wasn't really on my radar because, you know, I was a first year teacher. I was so dang busy. I didn't have time for relationships. That's ridiculous. But that situation really brought to light that if I have kind of these people in my corner and these people understanding me and understanding what I'm doing and what I'm working on and how I'm trying to fix this, that I wouldn't be so worried about one, what everyone else was thinking. And two, I would know that they were there to support me. So I think kind of the, the learning message I got from that was, you know, to develop those relationships and that when you have regret later, looking back at a situation to give yourself some grace and be able to move on from the mistakes that you made. Okay. So let's switch gears. Now let's talk about some adult behavior because you and I both know 
that sometimes adults can be the hardest part of the job of a special education teacher. So the second story I want to share as one of the more challenging moments in teaching for me was a period where a a teacher or staff member didn't want my students included in their classroom. And I'm not again, I'm not going to get into specifics of what happened, but I'll paint the picture of what I did. So my first reaction to this was not very classy, guys. I was I was like real mad. Like when I think about like periods in my life that I got like ragey mad, this this situation always pops in my head cuz I was like raging mad. It hurt me so bad. And the person was not very nice about it. And, oh, I was not very nice back, which, you know, that makes a situation better. Two two people not acting nicely is always something that's going to be productive, right? I'm obviously being sarcastic. So I made the situation worse. I was not modeling appropriate behavior. I was not trying to problem solve. I was not trying to collaborate. I felt like she started on a nasty foot, so I was going to continue it that way, which is not the best way to do that. It is human, but it's not the best way to, you know, to kind of move forward in this situation. In my behavior trainings, I talk a lot about the difference between reacting and responding. And I talk about that in the context of working with students, but it's the same thing when we're working with adults. You know, we have our reaction, the thing that feels good to say in the moment, your gut response. And that gut response is not always pretty. And if you can take a moment and think about what you're saying and think about the consequences of your actions, because there are, and ensure that you are responding, meaning you are you are behaving in a way that has purpose and that you've thought through and is not just beneficial to making you feel better in the moment. Because that's what a reaction does. A reaction makes us feel better in the moment, but it's not helpful in the long run. So that was something that I really had to overcome because I really learned in this situation that a reaction when collaborating and trying to work in teams is not productive. So Once I had gotten that out of my system, I had to swallow my pride. I had to go apologize to a person that I felt like had really wronged me, which is, oh my gosh, so painful. But I did it because my end goal was a positive experience for my students. And I knew that if this person and I stayed in this contentious relationship, there was no way my kids were going to have a positive, you know, experience and a positive, inclusive experience. And that was my motivation. And I kept reminding myself, this is not about you. This is about your kids. This is about your kids. And I literally had to say that many times. And I had to meet that adult where they were at. And we forget about that sometimes. You know, we meet our learners where they're at, but we don't always meet the adults in our lives that we have to work with where they're at. We assume sometimes too much. We assume competency and knowledge and skills that people just might not have yet. And that's no judgment on them. They just haven't had that history of learning or those positive experiences yet. And it's our job to give it to them. And our gut reaction and our being nasty is absolutely not going to accomplish that. So 
you know, and kind of giving this a little more context, my classroom was a new classroom to the school. There were other special ed classrooms, but our program had grown. So in my mind, everyone should have been on board with what appropriate inclusion looked like, but it was surprising to me that not everyone was. And it's because they just hadn't had the opportunity yet. You see how many times I'm using the word yet? It's all about that growth mindset. And if you can approach working collaboratively with other adults with a growth mindset of they're not on board with this yet, they don't have a positive experience with that yet, it gives, gives us some action to take. It gives us something to do instead of just being mad. Being mad's not going to accomplish anything. But if you think, oh, wow, they haven't, they haven't really seen the magic and the power of great inclusion yet, so it's my job to help them see that. Suddenly, you have steps you can take. When you're mad, there are no steps you can take. But when you look at things from a growth mindset, there are steps. So we rewound big time and started over and started small. And the inclusion process did take a long time, but we did get there. I wanted it to happen day one, but that adult wasn't ready. And it was kind of on me for not being able to identify that they weren't ready. So if you've been in situations like this with other adults that you work with, which I'm sure you are, because not everyone has the same background as us, meet them where they're at and work slowly and understand what their history of learning might be and have that growth mindset of taking actionable steps to get towards your goal instead of just shutting it down completely. Okay, my third story. So this story is kind of the tip of the iceberg in a the heart for sure the hardest phase or season of my teaching career. And I shared a little bit of the details about this on my three-part training series a few months ago. This was a time period that I really, really took home stress to the point of getting physically sick. I had hives all up and down my legs every day. I was convinced it was something I was eating or new detergent, went to two dermatologists, and they both told me it was stress. I would do crazy things like leave my keys in my car with my car running. I left gym shoes at the gym. Like I was, I was losing my mind. And this culminated in an end episode of a student getting injured and hurt on my watch by another student. And again, I'm not going to get into specifics or details, but I was absolutely devastated. Like I was already, I thought at bottom And I didn't think I could feel worse about everything until that happened. And I was like, oh no, this isn't bottom. Bottom is even lower. I was, I I was devastated. I had to call a parent who had put the safety of their baby in my hands. And I felt like I let them down. And I still to this day, like I'm getting emotional even thinking about it because I was so mad at myself and I was so upset that I had let this happen. And I mean, I, I was mess like big time. I ugly cried in my principal's office for like 30 minutes. Like it was not a good look. And he was very sweet and nice to me, but like he was probably like, okay, get, you, get yourself together and please leave my office. But it was, it was really bad. And 
looking back at that now, looking back at right, at right after, there were a lot of situations in that phase, in that season, and then kind of having a challenging situation with the learner, there were a lot of things that were outside of my control that I was desperately trying to control. And there were things that I, I couldn't change. And trying to change things that you have no control of is going to drive you, you're going to drive yourself crazy. So you have to really evaluate in, especially on days of a major behavioral incident, what things were in my control and what things were outside of my control. Of course, the things that were within your control, you are going to work on making sure that whatever situation happened does not happen again. What changes could you make in the future to prevent this? Of course, that is your first step. The next step is then identifying that there are some factors that are just outside of your control. If you are short-staffed, if students have medication changes, if there is a fire drill that's pulled while you're in the bathroom with another kid. I mean, there are just those perfect storms where you couldn't have even imagined that that could have happened because there were factors outside of your control. And you have to tell yourself that, that I cannot control all of these things. And this period of time that I'm talking about was not when I was a new teacher. Like I, prior to this, felt really confident about my skills. I was becoming a BCBA. I, I had, you know, had a lot of successes with other kids and other learners and felt good. And once this situation happened, it really, you know, threw my confidence for a loop because I felt like that situation and that child getting hurt then defined me as a teacher. And it took a while to turn that around and to really want to still, you know, make progress with all of those kids, including all the kids involved, and still be there for them because they still needed me. And there was, there was still a lot to be done. So if you've had those kind of low moments, know that it doesn't define you. And if you've had those situations where there are things outside of your control, identify that and, and keep telling yourself that because we want to try to, you know, change all these things so we can, of course, make positive behavior change. But there are things that we just can't change. This situation also really taught me to, with more extreme behavior situations, to include administrators as much as possible. And this doesn't, this sounds harsher than I, than I mean it, but I wanted these situations to be their problem too. And not that it was my problem. I was, I was happy, of course, to have it be my problem. And I say that because that is the job of a special ed teacher is to help our kids learn new positive pro-social ways that replace aggression and extreme behaviors and negative behaviors. But I wanted to make sure that it was always on my administrator's radar too, because it's easy for them to kind of get caught up in all of their other responsibilities and not really know maybe how often things are happening or to what magnitude things are happening. So I, in this situation, I really did, I think, do a good job and, and, and that helped the situation kind of solve itself later that on really keeping them involved and keeping them up to date and looping them in and calling them in and kind of, even though I felt like I was bugging them and annoying them, which maybe I was, but have making sure they were no, they were aware of everything that was happening in, of course, a respectful and um, positive way. Not like I'm trying to bug you, but I just want you to be aware of everything that's happening. I think that's a good step to take if you're in some situation of more extreme behavior. So let's get back to talking about adults. 
So as I've mentioned already, you know, we all know that student confidentiality and student privacy is of utmost importance. And in schools, however, it sometimes can get a little tricky to know who exactly is on that student's team and who should be privy to important information about a student. And there can be some gray area on what type of information we share with which people because a lot of our students interact with a lot of people. And so we don't want to necessarily assume that all of those people should know all of the things about each of our students. And it can be tricky to know where to draw that line and what type of information to draw that line with. A lesson that I really learned was to keep that inner circle, that inner team where you only bring the most, you know, the most essential information pretty small. Because there can be times where as trust builds with you know, colleagues or staff members, you might feel like, oh, they're, you know, they're very trustworthy. They've done a great job with the student. I should tell them more. And you want to really evaluate that. Like, why do they need to know this information? And if they don't need to know this information, then I should not be telling them that. And if you, if there are ever kind of outer edge team members that you're not sure if they should know certain information that is private for that student or that student's family, ask someone, ask, you know, your case manager or, you know, your special ed director, just to kind of keep some checks and balances for yourself. Because as you develop relationships with people, you might mistakenly assume that they're more in that inner circle than they need to be. A situation that this was very highlighted for me was when I had an experience with a staff member who I thought should have been more on that inner circle of the team and knew some information about a student and did some what I thought took some unnecessary steps that were unprofessional that had some negative ramifications for my classroom and that, you know, a learner and their family. And that really showed me, and this was a person that I had previously trusted, and this kind of disconnect here and distrust and taking these steps that I thought were unprofessional really showed me that you want to keep that inner team really small. So if you are struggling with that gray area of who do you tell what to, reevaluate that and even make a list. Because sometimes when you write things down, you're like, oh my God, I can't be telling 12 people this. So keep a a close um, connection with those people and make sure that you're not including anyone that maybe doesn't need to be. And that might sound harsh, but you don't want anything to be taken the wrong way or taken out of context. And confidential information or potentially sensitive information easily can. My last story here is around the lesson and the message that it's okay to ask for help. And I do actually like asking for help, but I realized that it was a lot harder for me than I thought when I was pregnant. When I was pregnant, I had several students that I worked with and clients that I worked with that were aggressive. And I am normally someone that likes to rise to a challenge. You know, I've got this. I got a plan. It's okay. Like, I'm tough. I'm... I've been in this field a long time. I know what to do. I've gone through experiences like this where I, you know, was able to make a plan and be successful. But man, when you're pregnant, it's a whole different ballgame because you're not just worried about yourself. You're worried about the life inside of you. 
And that was very apparent to me very quickly. And I had to way more frequently than I was used to ask for help. And people do give help, but then, you know, people are like, oh, you're fine now. And you're like, nope, still pregnant. Yep, still need that help. So I had to ask for help repeatedly, which when you have to do something that's hard for you, like repeatedly, it's annoying. But I had to. And you know what? It was okay. And asking for help wasn't so bad after all. And people were wanting to help and people were able to help think of creative solutions. So, and it didn't look bad on me. Like that's, I think was my worry. Like, oh my gosh, if I ask for help, it looks like I'm not knowing what I'm doing. Nobody ever thinks that. People are like, oh wow, they're asking for help. That it almost has the opposite effect. People are like, yeah, they know what they're doing. They know that they need extra support here. So if you're misconstruing that thinking asking for help is communicating that you don't know what you're doing. It's actually when we don't ask for help and struggle and maybe even fail, then people are like, wow, they don't know what they're doing. They should have asked for help. So pregnant or not pregnant, don't shy away from asking for extra support because it's actually can be a vote of confidence that people are like, wow, they, they know when there needs to be more help and support here. So that was a big eye-opening experience for me a lot later in my career too when I thought I really kind of knew what I was doing that I still needed extra support in different situations and knowing that that is okay to do. I hope you enjoyed my little story session here. As I said in the start, I think being honest and sharing some of the struggles in a productive way is important. And I hope if you're in one of these situations, you feel like you are not alone that other people go through these challenging things and that it will get better. I also hope that I handled telling some of these stories in a vague way with a lot of respect to the students and keeping in mind the sensitivity of student information. For parents listening, I hope that you thought I handled that well too because I want I made sure to really think about what I was saying and how I was saying it before I told you know, the very, very simple version of each story. Because even though I had a challenging time with a student, it didn't mean that I didn't really love that student. And as I said in the start, we we take on a lot of the stress because we truly want what's best for our kids. And when we're in a challenging situation with them and we don't know what to do and we really care for them, it can get really hard. So for any parents listening, I hope that I kind of maintained sensitivity when talking about a difficult topic. And for teachers listening, knowing that you aren't on an island, that there's other people that are going through the same thing you are. And I think it's good to talk about some of these things, but it's good to talk about them with that problem-solving lens of how can we move forward? How can we progress? How can we help this student learn more skills? How can we help this team member learn more skills? Because as I mentioned, it's with the adults as well. And we need that growth mindset with the adults that we're working with. So if you are, if you feel like you're in one of these seasons or phases where things are hard, put those problem-solving glasses on. And it's hard because... The problem-solving glasses are harder than the being mad, angry, why is this happening to me glasses. 
Those are easy to put on because you're like, this isn't my fault. There's nothing I can do. Eh. But if you put problem-solving glasses on, you're forced to identify action steps. So start to identify those action steps, even if they're baby action steps. Even if your first action step is, I'm going to stop complaining about this. That could be the first action step you you take. Those little steps will move you forward towards solving this situation or figuring out an effective solution. If you would have told me a few years ago that my favorite part of my job is getting up in front of sometimes a few hundred people and giving a presentation on data or behavior academics, I would have thought you were crazy. I did not always like public speaking. Actually, to be totally honest, public speaking was something I used to be pretty afraid of. But now it's literally my favorite part of my job. I love being in a room of my people, of the special ed world, teachers and parents and clinicians, and everyone that's on the front lines that's working so hard for our students to give them the best opportunities and the best classroom experience. I love being in a room of everyone that understands how hard this job can be, but also how amazing it is and how important those little victories are on a daily basis. When I do a PD, my goal is to bring value. I want to bring action items, ideas and strategies that you can do tomorrow in your classroom. I have sat through too many professional developments that either didn't apply to me or were too hypothetical and philosophical. And my special ed heart always wanted to know, what do I do next? What do I do tomorrow? If you are interested in learning more about how I can come to your school to do a professional development, please visit theautismhelper.com backslash speaking. There's a contact form as well as a lot of information about all of the different sessions I give. I'm happy to answer any questions and work with your school district. Thanks for listening to the Autism Helper podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to hear more, hit subscribe. It would mean a lot to me if you left some feedback. Whether I'm working one-on-one with a student, doing a podcast like this one, or presenting for a PD, my goal is always to provide as much value as I can. So your feedback really helps me make sure I'm doing just that. If you have other topics you'd like me to cover, leave in the feedback or message me on social media. You can follow me at The Autism Helper on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Pinterest, or visit my website, theautismhelper.com. Thanks again for listening. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Having the right resources for your classroom is essential to making sure your classroom is running smoothly. At the Autism Helper Shop, we have all of the resources you need to make sure you have the behavior, communication, and curriculum supports for your students. Within our shop, we have adapted books, task cards, 
resources aligned to the VB map and the ABLES, behavior plan flowcharts, data sheets, curriculum, everything you need, whether you are an early childhood teacher or a high school teacher, we have all of the resources that will meet those students' needs. So head over to shop.theautismhelper.com to check out all of our resources.